Okay, we are live. All right, Alexander, how are you doing in uh, in London? I'm doing very well indeed. Uh, um, I can't say that Britain is, but I am doing extremely well indeed. I say Britain isn't because we've just had inflation numbers which are bad, and there's concerns about that, and that we've avoided a recession, or so the IMF says. We're still looking at a cost of living crisis here, but I am well. Well, we'll we'll talk about everything that's going on in uh, the UK, and with us we have PTE Geopolitics. AJ, how are you doing? Great to have you on your second uh, live stream with us. I believe. How are you doing, AJ? Thanks, Alex. Yeah, really appreciate it. Um, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's been a, it's an absolute pleasure um, having a chat with you guys. And um, really good to be back. Yeah, it's my second time and um, very looking forward to having our discussions today. Great to have you back. I have your channel link, your YouTube channel link down below in the description box. And when the live stream is uh, over, I will add it as a pinned comment. I believe, AJ, you were recently added on a hit list. Is, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I've been adding on a... Uh, on a European NATO um, hit list alongside um, Gonzalo Lira and alongside um, I.L. Gray as well. So, so yeah, I have to be really careful. Um, apologies for not showing my image today, but I do work for the government still. So I have to be extremely, extremely careful about, <laughs> um, you know, what I say okay. and show, show. I mean, the, the voice is okay, but as long as they can't, get my image and start posting it on newspapers and stuff like that. And yeah, I'm gotcha. fine. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well then let's get uh, talking geopolitics. Alexander, uh, China, Russia, Eurasia, mm. UK escalation. And we chose UK escalation and not NATO US escalation because uh, mm. we are going to focus a bit today on uh, what's going on in the UK. Alexander, mm. let's, uh, let's get rolling. And hello, and well, by the way, and hello to everybody. <laughs> hello, hello to everybody that's watching us on Rockfin, Odyssey, Rumble, thedurad.locals.com, YouTube, and hello to our amazing, awesome moderators. We'll be going for about an hour. So hello to all our moderators, Alice in Blunderland, and and uh, that's that's who I see in the chat right now. Me and Alice in Blunderland, we are moderating. All right, Alexander, sorry to, to cut you off. Let's get rolling. Yeah, well, well, indeed, just to say, I mean, we are in a, as I said at the beginning of the program, we're in a very difficult economic situation. I mean, as I said, allegedly, reputedly, according to the IMF, we've avoided recession. But we are in the midst of a very severe cost of living crisis. Inflation is high. Inflation numbers came out yesterday. They were uh, much worse than expected. The British government had been expecting a, um, a, a fall in the headline level of inflation because of mainly statistical reasons, mainly also because of the fall in the uh, falls in energy prices. There was a fall in inflation, headline inflation, but core inflation is growing and the fall in headline inflation was less than the government expected. And uh, um, yields on gilts, British government bonds, shot up in response to this news to back to the semi-crisis levels 
we had in the last days of Liz Truss. So that gives you an idea of what the mood is like is like in Britain. So economically, a very fragile situation here, and with people under a lot of economic pressure. But our government, our political class, are focused on grander things. So Liz Truss herself has recently gone to Taiwan. She's made some really remarkable claims there, comments there. Uh, she's, you know, done her best Churchill impression. You know, we stand <laughs> with Taiwan, that kind of thing. We've had uh, um, an extraordinary exchange between Jeremy Corbyn, remember him, and Rishi Sunak in the House of Commons. Corbyn, about the only MP left in the House of Commons, who sometimes, very occasionally, brings up these topics, asked Rishi Sunak what he thinks of President Lula, Lula's peace initiatives and Sunak exploded and said, you know, we can't have freezes, we can't have anything in the Ukraine conflict, we must uh, help Ukraine until it achieves the outcome it wants, which is presumably victory, something of that kind. I mean, I'm not even sure any longer what the plan is. We've heard reports about, you know, Britain stepping up arms deliveries to Ukraine. We've had an entire political class which talks about Ukraine all the time. Um, I'm not saying that they are ignoring entirely these problems back home, but I don't really see much sign of them doing anything about them. One gets the sense instead that they're just going on from day to day, hoping that inflation will eventually recede, that it will fall back. Um, the Labour opposition doesn't seem to have any clear plans or ideas of its own about what to do. But they're all united around the need for Britain to fulfil its global destiny, to take on China, the Chinese dragon and the Russian bear, and to do it, well, if not with the help of the United States and the Europeans, it can do it all by itself. Also, sometimes listening to the way British politicians talk, you might even think, Am I right in what I'm saying? 100% right, Alexander. And um, i got to say, there's a huge amount of uh, talking points there. Uh, mm. But I want to start with a few few main points. Um, IMF have, like you said, increased um, Britain's um, recovery rating. But that's down to a few small reasons. Number one, energy prices are low. And also the dollar index, um, the dollar has been pretty low over the past few months. However, it's now back to 104, uh, which means the dollar is going up, which means the cost of energy will start going up. So these IMF figures, it's not going to last long, I'm afraid. I think once we start hitting June, July, when energy costs start getting a bit more higher, uh, Britain will be back in the, in the red again. So everybody that knows Britain is in a very very bad situation. Um, it's not just um, it's not just uh, these sanctions which have really hurt Britain, but obviously it's Brexit as well, and it's also those ridiculous money printing that they did during COVID. All of these put together have uh, really really put Britain in a really bad situation. Things have gone so bad. Um, they are talking about withdrawing from Diego Garcia, a military base, and returning it to Mauritius because they cannot afford it. Um, the United States is not very happy about that. But if, if the Britain, British army cannot afford um, to keep mm. D 
Diego Garcia when th that means that things must be really, really bad. So I want to kind of talk about a few things about um, obviously the sanctions, how it's really affected them. And I think we've talked about that before, how everything has boomeranged back into UK. Richard mm -hmm. Sunak is pretty much singing from the same hymn tune that li from, as Liz Truss and as Boris. Um, there's no difference there. Um, they're all part of the same group, same team. They're all doing the same things. The only thing um, Rishi is doing differently is uh, he's hugging Zelensky a bit harder compared to Boris. Uh, that's the only thing that's different. But I want to also talk a, a bit more about um, uh, about how Britain got into this situation. Uh, I'll start with Brexit, first of all. And um, I know a lot of people probably have heard of Brexit, but I want to give, I'm going to give you on a, on a different take. So Brexit was all about money. And when I say money, I'm talking about illegal money, money laundering. Britain has been the money laundering capital. And there's so many offshore uh, accounts that you can have in Britain. If you want to launder money, you come to Britain, you come to London. And at one point, London was called um, London Grad because there was a lot of rich uh, Russian billionaires coming into London to launder money, etc. So one of the reasons they wanted to do Brexit was the Europeans wanted to have a law where things like money laundering and not allowing money to be um, kind of be tax havens in uh, abroad countries in in around you, you, you know the UK colonies. Uh, they wanted to put a law which would have stopped all of that. So you have these rich people in Britain saying, oh, no, we cannot have that. We need, you know, we are the money laundering capital of the world. We cannot agree to these EU rules. So we need to get out of the EU because our, our money laundering um, operations are going are gonna to disappear. So you had a few people, uh, rich, rich, rich people around UK. Um, they got um, obviously Boris involved and, you know, a few, you know, and Farage involved, and they're really clamoring about Brexit. We need to get out of Brexit, and uh, and this was this was this was all this was was all what it's about. It's all about money. Unfortunately for Britain, they uh, got out of Brexit, and they realized they didn't get the benefits as they hoped. They were in fact, it's become so bad that they cannot. They have all this red tape, which they cannot trade with Europe anymore. And they have to go all the way to the other side of the world to trade. And obviously with the uh, oil prices and uh, what have you not, transport costs are huge. So it doesn't, that doesn't make sense. So Brexit has really hurt in Britain. And what's worse is Britain is no longer the money laundering capital of the world. So since they sanctioned all of these Russians and um and kicked them out of the country. I mean, we're talking about even Roman, who, who owned the Chelsea Football Club. I mean, what he did to Chelsea wasn't just uh, the football club. He, he, he put a lot of money into Fulham. He improved the areas, improved the schools, and they just literally kicked him out. So what this means is that Britain is no longer the money laundering capital anymore because all of the rich people are leaving Britain by droves. All the Russians are leaving, all the Chinese are leaving, all the Saudis are leaving, because they see Britain, uh, especially what they did with all of these sanctions, um, they do not want to keep any of their money in Britain. So Britain is seriously losing money left, right and centre. Then you have all of the financial institutions. During COVID, a lot of um, bankers were allowed to work from home. But however, 
now you you see a lot of bankers moving uh, to Europe because a lot of uh, financial centers are opening up in Paris, in Amsterdam, in Frankfurt, and you see a lot of offices going there. A lot of businesses are moving to Europe because they cannot handle the red tape. Uh, there's some other major issues as well. A lot of car companies are saying there could be 800,000 people who lose their mm. jobs if they do not re renegotiate Brexit because the Brexit rules have been negotiated by Boris. And, and you know what Boris has, has done, right? You mean, Boris uh, said, let's get Brexit done. And that's, uh, that's all he did. He went in there and signed the dotted papers. He didn't negotiate. He didn't like talk about anything about it, especially Northern Ireland. He just wanted to get Brexit done. He wanted to be the prime minister that got Brexit done. So he signed all the paperwork, said, yeah, I got Brexit done. But he hasn't read any of the um, rules and regulations. So Britain is in a really, really dire strait at the moment. Mm. And I just don't see any way Britain can turn back from all of this mess, mm. to be honest. And the ridiculous mm. money printing they've been, they've been doing, that's uh, hitting them really badly. Like you said, the inflation has gone up. Uh, but the inflation, you know, people in Britain still don't understand what inflation is. You know, yeah, you've got the inflation that comes from money printing. But what about the inflation that comes from increasing uh, oil prices and gas prices, um, supply chains? Mm. Because Britain cannot import from Europe anymore like it did when they were part of the EU. So they have to get goods from other places around the world and they have to add a lot of transport costs. And that adds to inflation. Uh, farmers mm. in UK are are going out of business, so I, I I think it's getting worse and worse for UK, and I just don't see any anybody mm. turning back this situation unless someone stands up and says, you know what, we made a mistake putting all these sanctions against Russia, we made a mistake uh, with all of these policies, so we need to start turning back against all of these mm. policies, and I just don't see any any help uh, i don't i mean starmer is probably going to win the next general election uh, by whisker um he's not very popular and even he said uh, he's going to stick to the same policies including brexit including uh, all the sanctions against russia so there's nobody really different mm -hmm. out there like i said jeremy colby is different but he's been pushed out of uh, parliament as we all know uh, so there's no re there's no real hope for britain um, alexander and alex well, I, w I wouldn't say that there's no there's no hope at all. But I mean, you know, we are we are not in a good way. And can I just say, you want to know one one individual who perhaps isn't suffering from the cost of living crisis, but who has seen his net worth collapse over the last year? It's our Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. He was worth seven hundred thirty million pounds in twenty twenty two. He's now down to five hundred twenty nine million pounds. So he's been losing money at the rate of half a million a day, half a million pounds a day. <laughs> Just think of that. He can afford it, of course, but so <laughs> yeah. he can. That that gives you that gives you a sense, you know, of uh, and you know, this is money that is, as correctly said, is based in the city of London. Whether or not Britain could have benefited from Brexit, I think it could have done. But the point is, the sanctions were definitely the wrong way to go. The approach taken to for sanctions was clearly a mistake. It has caused enormous financial devastation. And we can see gradually that the city of London is used, losing its position as a major financial centre. I mean, it's, it's now receding as a financial centre. And that's one reason why the wealth of people like Sunak along that 
of the rest of the country is dwindling at the speed which it is. Having said that, let's not worry too much for him. Um, no sign, as you correctly said, of any change of policy. On the contrary, we intensify it. And we intensify it with China. We intensify it with Russia. We send more and more of our military equipment to Russia, to, to, to Ukraine. We're now sending storm shadow missiles, which are not achieving very much, by the way. The Russians claim, we don't have corroboration of this, but they claim that they're shooting them down almost as fast as Ukraine launches them. So there's those claims going on. Um, but nonetheless, we're sending large amount of our military equipment to Ukraine. And the state of our armed forces is parlous. Now, can you explain um, about how Ben Wallace, our defence secretary, now plans to cut back the British Army? Because he does. <laughs> We're supposed to be increasing our defence position in order to push back against the Russian threat. But our military is actually shrinking. Yes, exactly. And and look, I made a point about Britain losing Diego Garcia, which housed his B-52 yeah. bombers. And it's in a really strategic location as well. Mm. But in terms of the British Army, it has been gradually going down for years. And, and this comes down to all of these ridiculous wars that Britain was getting itself involved in over the years. So you had Iraq, you had Afghanistan. 20 years uh, Britain has been getting involved there. They have been losing a lot of military hardware during those times and not being able to replace them. And now they've come to a point where they just don't have any military equipment left. All of it's um, rotting away or, or, or not working. And it's an absolute joke. British Army has become an absolute joke in itself. I mean, um, I think once George Galloway said you can fit an entire British army inside a small football mm. stadium, and that's how big the British army has gone. Well, and... I, 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 can, I can give exact numbers. According to Ben Wallace's plan, the number of fully trained soldiers will fall to 72,500. Now, that is less than a football stadium, a medium-sized football, sta football stadium. But to give perhaps an even better concept, idea, it's less than the force Ukraine deployed to try to defend Bakhmut. Yeah, that's right. And I have to say, Britain is being very, very unresponsible in the world stage. Britain is a mm. nuclear power and is sending uranium shells to Ukraine, very well knowing that these shells would destroy not only the agriculture in Ukraine, but also cause a lot of health issues to Ukrainian people. Knowing that full well, they are still sending that. They're still sending these uh, storm shadow um, missiles, like you said. Mm. Unfortunately, these storm shadow missiles, they have to be uh, deployed using airplanes. And this is why Ukraine needs F-16. So I think they do not have enough airplanes to throw mm. these uh, storm shadow missiles. They've got old Soviet airplanes but i think there's a there's a problem with incompatibility as well so they need mm. f-16s to fully utilize these storm shadow missiles so at the moment they do not have it but they might have it soon and who knows who there might be a few countries giving them away very soon but um but they're so irresponsible of uh, irresponsible of britain to be sending these uranium shells and the fact that uh, 
I don't know if you've seen a, a, a clip on uh, about uh, Rishi Sunak and uh, having a go at Zelensky at the G7. There was a there was a clip flying around where Rishi Sunak was, you know, really agitated t- talking about Zelensky, and Zelensky was, Zelensky was like, I don't know, I don't know, and it, he was obviously talking about the, these Ukrainian U- Ukrainian shells that got blown up, and mm. uh, and this cloud. I'm not going to say. I will say our cloud, and this cloud has been um, is obviously got um, radiation because there's there's scientists. Well, we, we, we are... don't know that 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 has been disputed, by the way. Yeah. But anyway, it did it did create an enormous cloud that was exactly, this, uh, and, and this cloud is going. Yeah, and this cloud yeah. is going through Western yeah. Europe, and it could even boomerang back to UK. Who knows? But the fact mm. is, how irresponsible it is for UK, and the whole world is watching. The whole world is watching how irresponsible Britain has become. They, they, they have become a laughing stock at the moment. And I, I, and me being Brit- British, I, I, I have to be totally ashamed by British behaviour, uh, not just in the yeah. political but, a- aspect of it, but also but, the military but, but, aspect but, of it as well. But, uh, but why are we? But why are we doing it? And that's that's the question I always get asked. Whenever I, you know, am, you know, having, con- I, I've, I've recently been speaking to people from China. I did a whole series of programs, uh, well, a large, long program with somebody from China, actually based in the United States, and she was asking me again these, this question: Why is Britain so uh, um, hostile to China at this time? We've never shown any desire to be hostile to Britain. I've had exactly the same questions asked to me by Russians. Why are we so hostile to the Russians? Why are we so involved in this crisis in Ukraine? Why are we sending them storm shadows, missiles and depleted uranium shells? And why are why is our prime minister visibly embracing Zelensky and doing all of these things? What, what do we achieve by this? What does our political class think we achieve by all of this? Because I've never been able to figure this out myself. I mean, I'm always asked this question and I'm stumped whenever I'm asked it. But you've had, well, you work for the government. Perhaps you can come up with a more uh, coherent explanation than I can do. Uh, okay, I've got uh, I've got an um, answer to that very clearly. Sunak has recently, um, I think it was in The Guardian, and uh, recently he, he said that um, Britain is 100% committed uh, to U.S.'s cause and U- U.S.'s, um, uh, U.S. against China, U.S. against Russia. They are 100% committed to the U.S. So that was Rishi's own words which means that they have become a complete vassal state of the United States. And uh, and this is how it looks to me, because I work in the government, and when I do go into the office, I do speak to a lot of people. And I'm pretty much shocked by the answers I get from everyone. Everyone is just so anti-Russian, anti-Chinese, and they're talking about their allies, like US is their main allies. We shouldn't be saying anything mm. bad about the US. And when I mentioned something bad about the US. Oh, we shouldn't be doing that. They are our allies, main allies. I mean, I'm just shocked how um, how misinformed they are and how idiotic some of their responses is, responses are. But I can, Alexander, I can give you one answer to all of your questions. And I think that's British exceptionalism. 
And it goes back to the colonial days where British um, think thought they were the best, and you know they they were obviously running uh, you know running half the world at the time. And mm. I think they cannot stand that they have, they are losing all this power in the world stage, and they still think that they are yeah. the best. They look down on countries like Russia. They look down on countries like China. They can't stand China becoming a bigger economy than the UK. Um, I, I think it's just down to British exceptional, uh, exceptionalism, Alexander and, and Alex. I just can't think of any other reason. What's your, I what's think, your thought? I, th I, think that, I think there's a lot in that, in, incidentally, because I can remember back in the 1980s when, uh, you know, already China's economy was uh, picking up quite strongly. But I can remember when Margaret Thatcher visited China at that time. And there was a lot of commentary at the time about how China's economy was about the same size as Britain's. This is in the 1980s. You know, China with a much bigger population, but it had an economy that was no bigger than Britain's. And now what we've seen is, of course, China shoot past. And this has been dismaying. And, of course, alongside that, we've seen this very significant Russian recovery since, you know, the early, the 1990s, when... Russia, the old adversary, seem to be knocked out. And it seems that they're getting stronger again, just as we're getting weaker again. And that seems to have somehow created this extraordinary reaction within in London amongst the political leadership here. But if we go back to China, there is a big reversal, because I can remember under David Cameron and George Osborne, you know, the early years of this current yeah. government, the whole plan then was yeah. to make friends with China. We yeah. even had a golden age, as it was called. This is not the Chinese saying that, by the way. It was, I think, George Osborne said, a golden yeah. age in relations between Britain and China. And in just a short time, that has been turned on its head. And I'm astonished, personally, at how completely that's happened. And by the way, Chinese people I've spoken to are bewildered the extent of this reversal as well yeah very much so and i, I remember watching um, and reading a lot of papers back in the day and um, they were saying we have nothing to worry about with brexit we will focus on china china is going to be the number one economy of the world china is going to be driving the world's economic growth so we leaving the EU, we will focus on China. And, and you can see these historical you know, articles in The Guardian and The Independent. Mm. They were saying China is our number one goal after Brexit. And what happened after Brexit? <laughs> Boris Johnson was... Um, oh, well, I just can't believe Boris Johnson. He pushed for Brexit. And the only country he visited five times was Ukraine. <laughs> Can you yeah. believe that? I mean, that, these are the actual yeah. figures. The only country he visited uh, was Ukraine five times. He never went to any of these other countries to try and yeah. push for trade deals, push for good relationships. He just sat on his sat on his backside, and he sent out list trusts, <laughs> the trusted. I mean, we all know how how. Um, uh, incompetent list trusted. He sent her out there, and she she comes back with two useless trade deals: one with Japan and one with Australia, which are absolutely uh, useless to us because it, it favors more the Japanese and favors more the Australian. So the Brexit has been completely uh, destroyed by, by by the government, and um, 
And yeah, uh, China should have been their main focus. Um, I mean, China is still Britain's the biggest trade partner. And it just happened overnight. Um, I just cannot believe it. it just happened overnight. There were so many Chinese um, businesses who were, who were investing in UK. Um, you had Huawei coming in. They were going to open up uh, an 8 billion site in Cambridge. Um, and, and that would have put a lot of money into the British economy. And that's gone now. They put a lot of money into British nuclear uh, mm. sites as well. China was going to develop some of their nu nuclear facilities. Um, China was putting a lot of money into UK at the time. Then suddenly overnight, it's almost like um, Trump called Boris um, one, one morning and started shouting at him. And Boris just kicked out Huawei overnight. And then, mm. and he always just started from there. And um, one step yeah. after another, then they started boycotting the Chinese Olympic Games. And when you boycott the Chinese Olympic Games, that, that really sh shows bad professionalism as a country. And, and, and that, really, that really hurt the Chinese. And that kind of, um, you know, mm. that kind of distanced uh, the Chinese from, 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 from the U UK. Then they started putting all these, these um, um, they, they started talking about the Uyghurs and they started doing some um, court cases in the UK about the Uyghurs and things like that. And mm. then they did it in the UK just to antagonize the Chinese. They basically went past all of their red lines. They started talking about Taiwan. They started sending ships to the Taiwanese Strait. And mm. it's almost happened overnight. Suddenly Britain became a very aggressive country towards the Chinese. And I just don't understand why because Britain mm. right now needs the Chinese. They need you know, they're suffering in terms of the economy. They need to be making friends around the world, not making enemies. I mean, they've made enemies out of the UK by, I mean, Europe by by the Brexit deal. They've made enemies in the Middle East by being in Iraq and Afghanistan. They made enemies out of China. And now they've made enemies with Russia. I mean, how many friends does the UK have already? Pretty much minor. I mean, USA doesn't want to even give a free trade deal to UK for being such a good puppet. I mean, they're still saying no to a free trade deal. I mean, so what are we? What benefits are we getting from the United States? Nothing. And in, in well, and, yeah, well, on. I mean, can I just just make one quick point there, which is that of course all these trade deals with China that were going on in the in the Cameron and Osborne period. The fact that the Chinese were building up, were building nuclear power stations in Britain, that they were developing the five G net, the five G networks here, all of these things were solicited by the British government. The British government went to China and asked them to come into Britain, and the British government even joined, was it the Asian Investment Bank that the Chinese set up very much against uh, um, the wishes of Washington at that time. So on the one hand, as you correctly say, we were courting the Chinese. We were wanting their money. We were opening our doors to them. We were trading them with them. And then very abruptly and incredibly suddenly, we slammed the door shut. And I don't think it was just Donald Trump picking up the phone and telling us not to do this. And um, I think that there is something very strange going on within the British political class that suddenly um with cameron out of the way with politics upended if you like with brexit happening they felt that they had to go back to something that would reintegrate them if you like with the western political class so since that they 
broken with the political class on by going for Brexit, they had to reaffirm their loyalty by being even more extreme on geopolitical issues such as China. But it is a it it is very strange and very difficult to understand. And by the way, it's affected a lot of people in the city who had big ambitions for expanding investment in China and have had to see all that reverse. I used to work for a few banks uh, back in the day. Um, I was a banker at the time and I used to work for Goldman Sachs, Barclays, and I worked in Lloyd's as well. Uh, so I am I used to be based in the city of London and, and used, when I was working there, it used to be a really busy area, lots of hustle and bustle, lots of bars and restaurants and uh, people used to go to bars after work and have lots mm. of uh, pints and mingle. And now when I go to city of London, there's hardly anybody there. It's I such see. a big difference. Yeah. I mean, I just can't believe yeah. um, how bad the city of London has become. And you see, yes. um, when you walk around, you see four let signs in offices and you see yeah. four let signs in shops. It's become very, very bad. City of London has uh, almost uh, emptied out. And, and it's same yes. in the Canary Wharf as well. Yes. And I just can't believe the state of Britain at the moment. I mean, um, no. And I'm disappointed with Sunak, actually. I mean, you would think that Sunak is a lot more intelligent than Boris, certainly a lot more intelligent than Liz Truss. Mm. Why, why come on record and say China is the biggest, you know, mm. biggest threat, blah, blah, blah. You know, he came out recently and, and said that. And I mean, why antagonize China by saying these things? I mean, does he not understand, you know, just be neutral, just trade with them, just have a good relationship. What is the point of saying something like that? The Chinese, yeah. after he said that, the Chinese were absolutely livid with that with mm. that comment. They were absolutely livid. And um, and even the, the Chinese minister said, uh, you know, so far as, as to say, you know, this is seriously going to um, affect British and um, Chinese trade relations because of Sunak's actions, but also because of Liz Truss as well. Liz Truss, who's, who's a washed-up politician that nobody respects, yeah. nobody even uh, remembers, uh, one way she found that um, she can get back into the international stage and make some headlines is to basically antagonize China. And this is exactly yeah. why she's gone to, went to Taiwan. Uh, she, ha she is only antagonizing China on mine. She has no business in building relationships or trade links or making money for Britain. All she wants is to antagonize China. And I think she's been either bought by somebody from the deep state or military industrial complex. But the fact for her to do that, there's no reason for her to do that. She's no Pelosi. I mean, the, mm. you know, she's yeah. still a member of parliament. Now, this is why the Chinese are very, very angry about this. She's still a member of parliament. Britain could have easily stopped her from doing going all the way to Taiwan, but they didn't. They allowed her to go out of taxpayers' money, and uh, and then you have Cleverly as well. Cleverly, who's um, who recently came came up and started uh, started saying, um, yeah, we need China, we need China's money, we need to build up a relationship. He says these things, but on the same sentence, he he talks about China's red lines. He talks about Taiwan, talks about Uyghurs, talks about human rights. 
then he then he is slapping China with his one hand and asking for money with the other hand. I mean, this is the kind of policy Britain mm. has become. I mean, you want you're not going to see cleverly talk like that to the Americans. You're not going to see cleverly talk like that to the Ukrainians. Even the rest of the EU, you can see when Zelensky went to the G7, he was like a movie star over there. Everybody was, um, you know, mm. clamoring around him, treating him like a movie star. You're not going to see any of them talk to China, give them that kind of respect. You know, it's just one rule for well, one person. I, I, and then, well, yeah, go on. Sorry. Well, can I just say, I mean, it's exactly what the Biden administration does. <laughs> I mean, Biden goes to goes to Hiroshima. He, he uh, organizes what the most belligerent anti-Chinese statement that the G7 has ever produced. And then he comes out and says that he expects... U.S. relations with China to improve in a short time. <laughs> I mean, he's, he, I mean, so I mean, you know, this is. I mean, if Sunak is uh, doing the same, if cleverly, our foreign minister, by the way, I should explain, is uh, talking the same kind of language. Well, you know, he's uh, following. You know, the master, the pupil, is following the master's example because obviously we've adopted the Biden style. Of diplomacy but you know we got we're on bad terms now with the russians we're on bad terms with the chinese but we don't need to worry because china and russia actually are enemies i know this because con coughlin has told me this in the daily telegraph today and he says that um you know the um war in ukraine opens the way i'm quoting from here opens the way for china to revise its long-held territorial ambitions especially concerning Siberia's mighty forests and that Russia and China recent, not so long ago went to war over a land dispute in eastern Russia, that there would be no need for a sea to become involved in a military conflict with Moscow. If it's happened with Ukraine, Moscow no longer controls its borders. So the Chinese are about to invade Russia. They're about to take over the country, or at least Siberia. Um, um, he talks about the fact that timber workers in the Russian Siberia are unhappy with the fact that the Chinese are buying so much of their timber. Quite why they would be unhappy, I'm not sure. But anyway, that's what Con Coughlin says. So we have no reason to worry because the Chinese and the Russians are soon going to be in effect at war with each other. Uh, now, I don't. these are not uncommon articles. I mean, Con Coughlin perhaps takes this sort of thing to an extreme. And by the way, it's an article that he's written, which is published today. It's in today's Telegraph. Yeah. But, you know, you get this kind of thing all the time in Britain, that, you know, this relationship between China and Russia is actually deep down an antagonistic one. We can get the Chinese to isolate the Russians. The Russians will ultimately need us to keep the Chinese at bay. All we have to do is play for time, uh, be as horrid as we like to both, because eventually the stars will align in our favour. There's an awful, lot, an awful lot of that going on in Britain. Are people in Britain discussing the fact that the Russian Prime Minister is currently in China and has just had a meeting with Xi Jinping and that you know the Chinese and the Russians are forging more economic links basically by the day i mean is this something that the media here in britain is covering it's a rhetorical question because i know the answer but perhaps you can expand on that for our viewers 
A, a recent news um, was released, and it, again, it's been completely ignored in the British media. But Russia has opened up Vladivostok to to China, uh, which means China can um, use their ports and Sakhalin Island as well. And they can use their ports and they can jointly help develop uh, Vladivostok. This has been opened up um, recently and for over a hundred and... I can't remember how long now. Over 100 years, um, this port has been blocked from the Chinese. So if the Chinese wanted to, if the northern China wanted to send out goods, um, they have to take it south all the way to Dalian uh, through the Bohai Sea and then go through, take take it through there. But now they go a very short distance to go to Vladivostok. And this is another one of those um, friendly gestures that Putin has made just very recently. I think this was mm. done last week. Mm. And again, it's been ignored in the papers. So I want to tell you something about uh, China and Russia relations. I mean, I've been to China and I, I know I know very much the history behind these two countries. Uh, but before I kind of explain that, I need, I need to explain the fact that um, I, I think... I've been talking to a lot of Chinese people, and um, and everybody is understanding with the same. Uh, everything, everybody has the same understanding. First of all, this war in Ukraine that's going on, uh, and this war between um, NATO and Russia and the West versus Russia, is actually good for China, because this takes the heat away from China. Because they know if this conflict wasn't taken any taking place right now, all of the heat would have been on China, 100% of the heat, 100% of the effort, sanctions. I mean, you've you got a few sanctions happening here and there, but they're not fully focused on China. They're f- focused on China, but they're also focused on Russia. Mm-hmm. So the West has completely got its plates full, and, they know, and China knows the longer this um, conflict goes on, the less heat there will be on, on China. And this, there's also other reasons as well, which they want this conflict to go on. I, I know there's Chinese delegates going to Ukraine, but the Chinese are not stupid. They know that talking to Zelensky is useless, but they are just doing it just for, you know, just for publicity, just for the sake of it. And I remember when they went to Ukraine, um, Chinese got told um, they need to, the Russia needs to abide by four things before they can talk about peace. Peace. Um, number one, they need to leave all of the territory. They need to pay reparations for the war. Uh, they want Putin to step down. All these ridiculous um, statements that Ukraine wanted. And the, and the Chinese were absolutely in shock that the fact that Ukraine wanted these things. But everybody, and the Chinese know that Zelensky's got no power here. He's got no say what's, whatsoever. They know it's, it's mainly the West which is driving them. But the Chinese want this war to prolong as long as possible because this allows mm. China to develop. And while the West and the rest of the world is focused on China, and, and the, you know, I've I got to say that there are still a lot of people in China who are still a bit upset with Russia as well. And um, they're not happy that Russia took a huge part of Manchuria uh, when China was at its weakest. And um, mm. they, they call it the unfair... Um, it was an unfair deal or something. Un, um, the unequal treaties. Uh, yeah, unequal, unequal treaty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Of, which, of so, which that was only one, by the way. <laughs> that's right, yeah. And so the Chinese are still not very happy about that. But the Chinese, you know, they always look at the long term. They know that 
then their focus right now is not on Manchuria. They, their focus 100% now is Taiwan. So Chinese love to do things one step at a time. They don't want to focus on too many things like the U.S. does. U U.S. likes to put its hands on many plates and many cakes. But the Chinese like to do things one step at a time, and they look at the long term. The long term benefits of making friends with Russia is huge. I mean, they get lots of resources. They get access to the Russian market. They get... Um, the access via the northern um, Arctic route when that clears up. Um, so there's a huge amount of benefits that China can get just being friends with Russia. So they look at it at the long term. So right now, China's focus is on Taiwan. They want to get Taiwan back reunifi reunified with the mainland as soon as possible because they know the longer they leave it, the more Taiwan Taiwanese people and the more kids are born, the next generation, the next generation, they move away from China more and more. And this is what's happening with Taiwan right now. I mean, Taiwan now is more, more away from China than it was, say, 50 years ago or so, because each generation grows up different. They, they, they have their own identity, etc. So China wants to reunify with Taiwan as soon as possible, because they know, you know they, they need to do that, because they cannot wait for another generation to be born and, and Taiwan to be more and more independent. So mm -hmm. their focus is on is, is on Taiwan. The, the next focus on China would be the South China Sea. And recently, Philippines has been, um, with the US's backing, has been being a bit naughty with the South China Sea. They've been putting boys around the South China Sea and things like that. So China's next focus will be the South China Sea. And the next focus after that would be the border issues with India. So China has, they love doing things one thing at a time. And the final thing would be Manchuria. And Manchuria is not a, not a, um, a rush at the moment because they know that, you know, there's climate change going on. The Northern Sea Route is still going to take a bit of time before it clears up. And once the Northern Sea Route clears up completely, that's when the, China will really focus on Manchuria. That's when Manchuria becomes very, very valuable because you will have access to the Northern Sea Route from there. And um, so Manchuria and stuff like that is, is not really a focus on China right now. So China's main thing they, they, they're doing now is focusing with Russia, building up that relationship, uh, build, because they have one enemy, which is the West, and the West is completely after Russia and the West is completely after China. And the West likes to, you know, make up all of these stories about um, how Russia and China don't get along. They, you know, they say that because they don't understand what's going on. They don't understand the Chinese. They don't understand the Russian. They don't understand the big picture. And this is why you have Con Coughlin writing all these ridiculous stories. Like two years ago, when they started putting all of these sanctions against Russia, did they think that Russia would start trading with China? Did they think Russia would start trading with India? You see these um, neocons, mm. they don't think that way. They don't think, you know, about other countries like China. They think China and Russia are enemies and don't worry about Russia. They're not going to trade with China. They're not going to get close to China. They have, you know, border issues. They don't understand the big picture. And I just wanted to kind of explain that to you guys. Over yeah, in fact, Alex. in fact, uh, um, I've actually seen an article, I think it was in CNBC today, about the fact that the trade between uh, Russian oil trade is now uh, uh, booming, that Russian oil... Um, um, oil receipts, receipts from oil, are now is now back, um, is now back. It's it's rising, 
and um, that the caps, the price caps are collapsing because of the extent to which Russia is now able to sell oil in Far Eastern markets, not just China and India. Uh, but of course, China is absolutely central to this. And so that, you know, that this whole concept of the Russians not being able to pivot east has already been exploded. But, you know, this idea still clings on. There's an article today, even even as I read that article in the in, as I said, the American media this morning about Russia's booming oil trade in the Far East, in China and in India and in all of these places. I read in the Financial Times about how Russia is finding it allegedly difficult to close the deal for the Paris-Siberia 2 pipeline and that the Chinese, who bargain hard, they always do. So do the Russians, by the way. This is entirely normal. Uh, uh, but, you know, supposedly that the Chinese are, are dragging their feet, heels on this. So, you know, these illusions that this isn't actually happening that this rapprochement between China and Russia, which, by the way, I think is far more important to the Chinese than Manchuria is. I, I think the Chinese take Manchuria, the subject of Manchuria at all, uh, are interested in it at all anymore, um, and ever will be, by the way. But anyway, I think that there is still an unwillingness on the part of some people in the West, in Britain especially, to understand that this is for real, I think the Americans, to some extent, understand this, perhaps because they are actually a superpower, which in Britain we are not. But I don't think in Britain there are people who fully grasp this yet. They still think that they can somehow play this game of you know, pitting the Russians and the Chinese off against each other and somehow d doubting that this rapprochement is really happening at all. You're 100% right, Alexander. And I also read another article a um, few days ago, even saying that Russian oil exports have collapsed, Russian gas exports have absolutely collapsed. But do you know where they get the figures from? They get the figures from, you know, things like SWIFT, the dollar exchange market. So Russia doesn't exchange a uh, oil and gas in dollars anymore they do it with their mm. own currencies or they do it with yuan and there's yeah. no way that the americans can um, see how much you know is being traded if they um, if they do it with their own currencies it's almost it's almost impossible so this is where they get these trade figures from they get it from these dollar markets and from swift and and you know russia has completely gone off swift they don't hardly use swift in them because they've been banned mm. and um, they hardly use a dollar in exchange. Even with India, they are exchanging things with uh, with the rupee as well. And I think recently yeah. um, they've said that the rupees they bought was pretty much useless because they can't really use it to buy anything around the world anymore. But I think they're still having some discussions with uh, the Indians to try and uh, yeah. come up with a better solution. But the fact the fact is they're not using the dollar anymore, and you you cannot say the Russia's. Mm. Uh, oil exports have collapsed and gas exports have collapsed. When you're only looking at dollar figures, you know, you, you are not looking at the big picture. Russia is not buying it using dollars anymore. And this is where they get their facts and figures from. So again, you know, all of these facts and figures coming out, it, it's all, um, it's all yeah. fake. It's all stuff that you've seen it hundred yes. times before. Um, they don't understand the relationship between China and Russia. I mean, why would, 
China and Russia fight with each other when they when when they both got one enemy, which is the West. The West is completely in it for China. West is completely in it for Russia. So it makes sense for China and Russia to to team up and to mm. fight against this aggression. I mean, you know, and and for, for them to think, oh, they're enemies, they're not getting along. It's just they just you know this living in cloud cuckoo land. And you, you are right about the power of Siberia too. They are still uh, working out. Um, um, mm. The details with the contracts—they haven't signed it yet. But but China, you know, they don't want to put all of the eggs in one basket. They are, you know, they, they're negotiating mm. um, a, a gas pipeline from Turkmenistan, and I think that's their main priority at the moment. So they want to get that sorted first, and mm-hmm. then after that, they will get—they um, will try and sort out something with the power of Siberia too. I mean. China needs gas, yeah. needs plenty of gas. Yeah. Eventually, there will be a deal signed. There's no doubt about it. I mean, obviously, they both are bargaining hard. Russia needs the money uh, because they're obviously fighting a war in Ukraine. So they need as much money as they can get. And obviously, China wants to save as much money as they can get. And the renewables in China is obviously increasing year by year. Their solar and wind power is you know, increasing year by year. So China has to evaluate how much gas it needs um, because they've already got one pipeline coming from Russia already, Power Siberia 1. Um, they yeah. also have another one in, in pipeline they're trying to build as well, going through Mongolia and I think there's the, and the Power Siberia 2, which is that they're still kind of talking about. But these things, you don't really um, sign these deals straight away. These things take time. You know, we're talking about huge investment here. So, uh, Absolutely. so, so you're not going to sign it over overnight. These things sometimes take years of negotiation before you, you, you deal with it. But, um, you know, I think the West yeah. is completely, the media in the West is, is an absolute joke. I don't know, you know, you, you study journalism, you go to university, study journalism for three, four years, you join a paper and you just write absolute rubbish. I just don't understand mm, yeah. what these journalists do when they go to university and, and they come out of university, they go to these papers. You know, they don't really write out of what they think. They only write what's been given to them. So the editor will say to, say to someone, all right, you write something bad about China. You write about this. And, and they'll be like, yes, sir, well, I'll do it. And, and this is what, you know, these are what journalists have become. Mm. They've become puppets. And the editor tells you what to write, not like what you write for the editor. And uh, and these papers are all part of the government, you know. And, and the, if the government wants you to write something or wants you to do something, want to want to push a narrative, um, it goes down to the editors and the editors will push the journalist to write that that way if a if a journalist decides to write something good about china the editor will say sorry no nope, we can't print we can't print that write something else if you write something bad then i'll print it but we mm-hmm. can't have that this, this is why you don't see any good news about china or russia um but you know this is yeah. this is how we become alexander and uh, you know the system is corrupt the media is corrupt you just can't trust anything anyone says in the media anymore there's mm-hmm. no Apart from Hirsch, Hearst, um, apart from Julius Assange, I just don't see any other journalists in the world which are yeah. which actually yeah. speak the truth. I mean, there's no journalist who has actually stood up and said, you know what, these sanctions have been an absolute mistake. We need to start rolling back. We need to start yeah. pushing for a peace deal with Ukraine. We need to tell Ukraine not to join NATO. We need to tell Ukraine, uh, you know, stop attacking Donbass. You know, we need, we need to kind of push for a peace deal. Uh, 
get the mm. world back in order. Um, you know, there's not one journalist that has actually written that. So it just goes to show they've all been controlled like puppets. Well, indeed, and that's exactly the point. Can I just, just, just say about the oil revenues? It was actually CNBC, and it was an article that appeared yesterday, and it's entitled The West's Oil War Against Russia is Starting to Lose Momentum. And it said that Russia's revenues from oil exports have recovered from levels reached in January and February, and that Moscow has been able to successfully claw back earnings from fossil fuel exports in recent months. And energy analysts um, suggested the failure of the failure of the so-called price cap coalition to re revise price levels and enforce the policy had resulted in the measures losing traction, integrity, and credibility. In other words, the oil price cap has collapsed. <laughs> who, who, who would be surprised about that? But anyway, um, coming back to your. Uh, a point about you know by the way and that's that's cnbc that's the american media we do not get articles like this in the british media now you have experience of british government this is where i really want to conclude because of course britain is a, historically been a trading nation I mean, we lost our empire decades ago we trade that's what we do we import we try to export what we can. We have the City of London, which has been the great financial entrepot. That means, logically, that we should be seeking to preserve peace. That's, that's our interest, seeking to preserve peace, keep our doors open, keep open for business. I mean, I used to remember people when, um, you know, I was close to the city as well. People used to say that the city is open always open for business that's what people used to say we should be opposed to sanctions and we should be playing a role in encouraging peace negotiations now what many people don't realize is that for much of the post-war period that was largely what britain did in the 50s and 60s and 70s and to some extent even in the 80s under margaret thatcher britain acted as a restraining force on the United States. So when the United States got heavily involved in Korea, for example, yes, we were there with them, but the Churchill cabinet was very unhappy about some of the actions the US was taking in Korea, as is now known, and they were trying to restrain the Americans. The same happened over Vietnam, the same happened many times over the Middle East, and the British also acted early in establishing diplomatic relations with China after the communist takeover. And of course, we had British prime ministers like Harold Macmillan, for example, traveling to Moscow in the 50s, and Anthony Eden receiving Khrushchev in London. So we have put all that aside. We've forgotten our foreign policy, our old classical foreign policy, in play, and we put in place this bizarre belligerence against everybody everywhere all the time and is it going to change are we going to rediscover the kind of policy that we had which of course in my opinion is founded on our actual interests i don't see anybody in parliament or up and coming who has that kind of thinking unfortunately and um 
I just don't see that changing at all. I, I think the complex military industrial complex, the deep state is so deeply embedded in the British parliament that I don't think there's any chance of that happening um, at all. I, I, I think gone are the days of Churchill and Thatcher when they had an independent foreign policy. Uh, but I, I, I think we're too deep into um, yeah. Yeah, the neocons have completely taken over. I mean, people yeah. like, like Jeremy Corbyn, who who was a danger to the deep state, he got kicked out, obviously, because... Um, he, he mentioned something about the Palestinians uh, and he, he wasn't happy about the way Israelis were um, were kind of running their stuff against the Palestinians. And, and I think because of that, the kind of deep state, so, you know, he's dangerous, get rid of him, he speaks the truth. Um, but to, talking about Palestinians, um, you know, I just found it so funny that Zelensky went to the Arab League, Saudi Arabia, and he in front of their faces, he was saying that, you know, how can you guys ignore what's happening to us and uh, the fact that Russia's uh, taking one third of our territory when the, the Arabs know that, you know, what's, what Israelis are doing to the Palestinians are, you know, is completely ignored in the West. And, and also the fact that Americans are in Syrian territory as well. Take, and, and they have taken one third of Syria with, with the Kurds and, and stuff like that. So the fact that Zelensky, you know, goes to Arab and says, "Oh, you guys are, you guys don't understand what is law. You, you are turning a blind eye," and you know, it, it, it didn't go down very well. And I was reading the Arabic papers as well. They did not like Zelensky the way he was appointing figures of the Arabians, and uh, and uh, oh, it, it was terrible. But I, I think, thought it was a, I thought it was a disastrous speech. Actually, I thought it was an yeah, absolutely I'll, awful speech yeah, in almost every way. I can't imagine any group of foreign leaders uh, 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 appreciating being talked to by in in that sort in that kind of way by somebody who's supposedly there to ask them for help. I mean, I think I think <laughs> that if anybody came to me asking for help and talked to me like that. I mean, yeah. I would I would show them the door, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that's how the Arabs felt. But anyway, there it is. I I think we're going to stop now. We've just gone over an hour. Alex, is there anything you wanted to add to our discussion? Maybe. Do you guys uh, want to do a hard stop, or you want to answer some questions? Well, I don't mind answering um, questions. It's up to uh, you. Alexander, do you have time or? I have I have about fifteen minutes. Okay. Okay. Let's go through some some questions real quick, and uh, we'll answer all the questions in a dedicated uh, show as well. So we'll uh, we'll get to all of the the questions that uh, everyone has sent. But let's try to knock out as many as we can in the next fifteen minutes. From Terrace thesis says NATO is giving new weapons to Ukrainians in a way that benefits Russia the most, a little bit at a time. The same way you develop immunity. The poisons. True. Uh, CA says, thank you for bringing PTEAJ back to the Duran. Thank you for that. Sanjeva says, going after soft targets like journalists and YouTube content creators just because they disagree with the Western narrative is surely the work of losers. Well said, Sanjeva. Alex K says, an Israeli security official couple of days ago said that Israel got a green light from the US for a joint military operation targeting Iranian nuclear facilities, what could possibly go wrong? 
Well, what indeed. I mean, can I just say, we've now had visits to Iran, simultaneous visits by the head of the Russian Navy and by Nabulin at the head of the Central Bank. And they've both been in Iran, uh, one talking obviously about military cooperation, and Iran is soon going to start receiving uh, Russian fighter jets, and the other talking about um, obviously linking up Iran to the Russian payment system. So <laughs> an attack on Iran, it's just going to accelerate these moves even further. It would open a whole area of further confrontation. It would not be well received now in Saudi Arabia, or so it seems to me. I think this would be a completely ill-conceived idea. Can I just say, um, on my father's side, um, he, is, he is Iranian, um, so my father is Iranian, so I know a lot about Iranian politics. And I have to say that the sanctions really destroyed Iran, but the longer these sanctions carry on, the less effective they are. And I've been to Iran a couple of years ago. They have become so modern now, and they do everything themselves. They, they stop relying on foreign um, goods. They make everything themselves. You know, everything that you need is in Iran. They also have a very good trade deal with China. The stuff they can't make, they can buy it from China. And Iranian oil exports are rising month by month, year to year. Their revenue is huge at the moment. And, and also China and Russia are jointly developing Iranian um, gas fields and oil fields. So every month that goes along, every year that goes along, Iran will, will make more money. And people don't forget that Iran is right in the middle when it comes to <clears throat> a huge transport hub. So you have, you have like you said, um, Alexander, from Russia to India, there's going to be a huge um, transport link going between Iran. There's going to, you obviously have the Belt and Road going from China through Iran into Europe, and Iran's going to be a huge. It's going to be a huge transport hub. Uh, it's got loads of minerals and resources, untapped minerals and resources. It's got lithium. It's got rare earths. Iran has got a lot of riches, and it's only a matter of time before Iran becomes a superpower in the Middle East. And I think. You know, these sanctions have hurt Iran, but I think over the next year or so, you will see uh, Iran's economy accelerating. Their GDP has been growing up steadily over the past 20 years, and, and they are definitely going to be heading up to almost uh, higher, in fact, same or even higher than Saudi Arabia, I would say, in the next five to 10 years. And Iran's got a lot of people as well. It's got loads more people than Saudi Arabia. So you know, I think Iran is put, being pushed in the right direction. And yeah, like like you said, um, they're gonna they're gonna be buying um, fighter jets from um, from Russia. But I think what, one thing that they do need is these S four hundreds to protect their nuclear facilities because the anti aircraft stuff that Iran has got is still not a not a standard. So they need the S four hundreds, and I think that is their main. That's what they need more than the fighter jets. And I think once they get that from Russia, and, it, and if they do get it from Russia, I don't think it's going to be public. I think it's going to be something that's done secretly because they know that the West is going to be completely going crazy if they find out that the you know the Russians are selling S-400s to, Russia, to Iran. Uh, but I think attacking Iran is a really, really bad idea. First of all, they're not pushing for a nuclear um, atom bomb at all. I mean, uh, you know, they're, 
they want to have their own energy. They want to have their own nuclear facilities for their own power power needs. But if any any attack that happens on Iran, they would immediately start um, building nuclear bombs. And I guarantee you, they they have the knowledge and know how and facilities to build a nuclear mm-hmm. bomb right now if they wanted. But the only reason they haven't is because of Western pressure and stuff. But any attack on nuclear facilities or any attack on Iran would um, allow would give them an excuse to start building these nuclear bombs because they would know, they would know they need nuclear bombs for their own security. And also, Iran has got many proxies around the Middle East, you know, and they would cause a lot of trouble for American troops, for Israeli troops, all all across the Middle East. And you know now you know that Iran has now taken the third tanker uh, off the Strait of Hormuz as well. Through America's America has taken one tanker off Iran, but Iran has fought back and took three tankers. Oh. And the third tanker was uh, taken a few days ago. So Iran would cause a lot of issues in the oil trade in the around the Strait of Hormuz. They will cause a lot of issues w- w- with the proxies. Um, they would make American lives a living nightmare. There is no way that the the West or the or, or the American um, government will be able to handle three major countries fighting three major countries at the same time: Russia, Iran, and China as well. It's it's going to mm-hmm. be absolutely absolutely impossible. So I I do not think there's any um, deal that's going to be happening between. Um, Israel and United States to attack nuclear facilities. It would be, be absolute suicide. I will tell you that right right now. All right. Uh, Rafiq Adams says, have you read the new piece by Jeffrey Sachs on the American wars and debt crisis? What is your opinion on it? Do you think the neocons and neoliberals will refuse to change? No reverse gear. And will this necessarily require complete collapse? Uh, do you want me to go first? Uh, Yeah. Well, I I think um, June the 1st, they're giving the deadline of they need to increase the debt limit. But I I think they will do it. They will not allow United States to fall back on its debts um, and go bankrupt because this would cause huge amounts of um, economic issues. The dollar will collapse. Um, There there will be so many issues. Um, You know, salaries will not get paid um, to... Um, are, are the, the army, the kind of civil service, uh, the government's uh, pub, public services, and you know it would cause absolute mayhem. So I don't think they will allow it to happen. But what they will do is increase the debt limit, and they will just kick the can down the road for the next one because they were supposed to uh, run out on January, and they increased it last minute, and now they're gonna do it again and they will keep doing it and and this is the uh, same old thing really I, I think it gets exaggerated by the press and the uh, uh, and the media but there is no way they will allow uh, this from happening um biden has already said that he's already made one trillion worth of savings and i think they will go with that i think they will make it hard they'll push it until the last minute but eventually they, they have no choice but they will have to increase the debt limit but this this means that um you know, the debt, they're just kicking the can down the road. The debt limit is going to increase. The dollar is losing value anyway as we speak because the less and less countries around the world are using the dollar for trade because the dollar, they know the dollar, you know, is because of their sanctions is pretty much um, dangerous to have dollars, to rely on dollars uh, because the United States 
one day they might like you, one day they might not, and they might free, freeze your central, you know, the dollars in central banks. So you cannot trust the dollar. So a lot of countries are moving away from the dollar. So whichever way you look at it, America is pretty much done and dusted. The dollar is, is falling apart. The, the, the debt limit is going up and up and up. Um, you, you know, the American economy is going down. China is buying less and less stuff from America. I think they cancelled under a million tons worth of corn from from America. They're buying it from you know friendly countries like South Africa, Brazil, Argentina. So they will focus on buying more and more and diversifying their you know their imports from United States. They're not buying any more Boeing jets from America. They're not buying any chips as well. The chips orders are going down, but that's down to U.S. sanctions as well. So American economy, whichever way you look at it, is going down there, and they are being very, very desperate now, and they, you know, they really don't know what to do. And like you said, Alexander, Biden is uh, slapping China with one hand. On the other hand, he's saying, oh, we're going to, you know, we will improve our relations with China soon enough. But, you know, Blinken and Yellen, they're still having their visas rejected from going to China. Nobody is allowed to go to China. They're not talking to China. So, you know, I don't know how they're going to build up relations unless they start removing all of these sanctions, but they're not going to do that. So China is just avoiding mm. them, really. They they know that talking to the, the American um, government is useless because talking has no value. They say one thing, but they do another. So there's no trust between China and America at the moment. And, and America needs China because they need China to buy their bonds. Um, and China has been dumping a lot of bonds lately. Uh, they've dumped billions and billions worth of bonds. And uh, and the same thing that happened in 2008, where China came in and bought lots of bonds and bought lots of debt to help America out, that's not going to happen this time. So, uh, so they're panicking one side, but they also um, they don't want to give any um, uh, leeway to China as well on the other side. Uh, so, so they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alexander, do you want to? Comment no, to do I, one I final question. One, let's do one final question here. Yeah. Okay, let's do one more. And this is from Ryan. And we will answer all the questions, by the way, on uh, on a dedicated show. So, because we have a, we do have quite a lot of questions, a lot of good questions too. Uh, Ryan says, from an orthodox point of view, what does Erdogan's re-election mean for Patriarch Bartholomew? Will he continue to feel more pressure since he's a Western asset? That's a very good question. I don't think it's going to make any difference. I mean, I don't think uh, Erdogan is very interested in Patriarch Bartholomew. And why would uh, Erdogan be interested in the um, crisis in the Orthodox Church in Ukraine? I mean, he's not Orthodox. So I, I think he's going to leave things as they are. But um, I also think that recent events are going to make Erdogan anyway want to improve his relations with with the Russians even more. He's now had a very good sign. The way the West has behaved during the election, he's now again been shown that the West doesn't like him and would like him out. So he's got that to consider. But he's also had something else to consider, which just happened yesterday, which is that yesterday 
the Ukrainians launched an attack on a Russian warship, a small Russian warship, near the Bosphorus, which was protecting the Turkstream pipeline. Now, the Russian ship managed to destroy these drones, you know, Ukrainian drones that were launched against it. So it wasn't affected. But, you know, bear in mind, Turkstream is a vital piece of Turkish energy infrastructure. And that warship was pretty close to the Bosphorus. In other words, it wasn't involved in the war. And I cannot imagine that Erdogan is anything else other than extremely angry about that. Um, knowing him, it's exactly the sort of thing that must infuriate him. And it must show him uh, something he should have figured out a long time ago, that his attempts to work with the Ukrainians have failed, that the Ukrainians are not people that you can control easily. They, they've not really implemented the grain deal in a straightforward way, as he would have liked, no doubt. And um, for all of these reasons, I think this particular incident uh, was a mistake by Ukraine, unsurprisingly, but also one that, as I said, is going to tilt uh, the gun more in Russia's direction. Now, how that's going to impact on Patriot by Bartholomew, I have no idea. But I don't think this is something that yeah. is at all important to Erdogan himself. Is uh, Ukraine is still transiting uh, gas, right? Not only oil, but gas, right. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. Okay, we're, getting, we're we're finishing up, but I have to I have to ask you you guys this. Um, okay, so you, Ukraine is looking to to jack up the prices. I read that yesterday yeah. on the delivery of, yeah. of oil, I believe gas as well. I, I'm not sure if, yeah. if gas is also there, but they're yeah. looking to jack up the prices, transit via Ukraine. Nord Stream's been knocked out. Now they're going after Turk Stream. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they, they seem to try to, to, to be making Ukraine the only transit point for uh, oil and gas into Europe. Well, that's, that's exactly what they're trying to do. That, 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 yeah. that is exactly what they're trying to do. I mean, that's what this attack was all about. And as yeah. I said, Erdogan, uh, um, um, must now realise, because of course he's he made big efforts for a long time to be on good terms with Ukraine. He entertained Zelensky in Turkey. He agreed a program with Turkey with uh, Ukraine. Turkey would help Ukraine to develop its navy. He sold Ukraine lots of weapons, Bayraktar missile uh, drones and. Uh, um, armored personnel carriers and all of those kind of things. And um, he also said, as I remember some years ago, that he backed Ukraine's bid to join NATO. And what does he get? <laughs> he gets attacks on Turk Stream. So, I mean, he must be absolutely furious about this. And of course, the Russians will be pointing out to him the implications of it. And um, how it will play out, we will see whether... At any point, Erdogan retaliates against the patriarch, I can't imagine. But I can't imagine that he'll be looking very favorably on Zelensky from this point on. Do, do you know how this was, uh, uh, Alexander, AJ, do you guys know how this was an attack on, on Turk Stream? Was because obviously it's running under the... Yeah, but the were, point Were they was, looking to hit a facility that was... No, no. What they were looking to do was attack a ship that was guarding Turk Stream. Oh, after okay. the Nord Stream, after the Nord Stream attacks, after the Nord Stream attacks, the Russians and the Turks agreed that there would be uh, naval patrols 
to monitor the situation on Turk Stream. So to prevent a kind of attack on Turk Stream that happened on North Stream. Now, as I say, we see those ships, those ships that are guarding the Turk Stream pipeline themselves being attacked. So obviously, I'm not sure who is you know, exactly what the ultimate plan is, but you can see the intention. It's to try to take away the screen of protective ships, no doubt get help from someone, blow up Turk Stream, and then you're just left with this one pipeline passing they're, through Ukraine. They're out of control. So as a, they're out of control. I mean, it's, 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 it's we, we wild, it's video. desperate, it's crazy, but there it is. This is what seems to have happened. Yeah. All right. AJ Alexander, let's uh, wrap this one up. PTE Geopolitics, the link is in the description box down below. It will also be linked as a pinned comment. AJ, thank you very, very much for joining us on this live stream. Thank, thank you, guys. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure talking to you guys. And um, hopefully we'll speak to each other soon as well. But uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you, AJ. And Alexander Merkurs, thank you very much for joining us on this live stream, Alexander. <laughs> thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> thank you to all our moderators. I saw Zariel in the house, uh, Allison, Blunderland, Reckless Abandon. And um, let me see who else was joining us in moderation. Thank you to everyone that was watching us on Rumble, Odyssey, BitChute, and the Duran.locals.com and Rockfin as well. And I think I got all of the, the moderators as well. Hopefully I didn't miss anybody. Thank you very much, everyone. Have a good morning, afternoon, or evening.